0: I was carrying the name Christian around, but I really wasn't wasn't living the Christian life. We ended up falling victim to drugs and alcohol.
1: Things just escalated really far.
0: It was painful to um, watch them waste their life.
1: I started partying and drinking, and I made a lot of mistakes.
0: Got to the point where where it seemed like there was no hope. I felt like my whole world was going to cave in.
1: His way of dealing with things was just to drink it away.
0: But I was bitter, and I thought, like, what does this mean? Like, now you're different all of a sudden.
1: When he left, he never came home.
0: It's probably my ultimate low.
1: To give me a second chance.
0: So I basically lost my brother for 10 years.
1: I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel.
0: I didn't feel like God would forgive me for that.
1: So good to see you guys back this weekend before i jump into the message i just want to announce that this weekend is the sixth anniversary of our agape campus that we started six years ago in port-au-prince haiti they now run over 1500 people every weekend in fact in spite of all the all, all the violence, all, all the just the mess that's been going on in that country, the lack of food, we've been sending food there uh, for the people in the church to get out to the community, water, all the things that have been going on, the church has been growing at a rate of 42%. I mean, that's incredible in the midst of all that turmoil, and there being a beacon a shining light in the middle of the chaos. One of the things we're most excited is we started a brand new ministry where we identified 25 of the most vulnerable women and we brought them into a ministry there at the church where they be they're finding healing emotionally uh, They're being discipled they're learning job skills so that they can experience the life that God intended for them to experience So could we just celebrate together what's going on? Down in Port-au-Prince, Haiti this weekend and I do want to say something about Jody Messina concert. You may be wondering why are we having a country western artist you know, come into a concert at Hope Community Church. Laura and I were in Nashville a few months ago and we had the opportunity to hear her and then talk to her. And recently she has become a Christian. She's accepted Jesus Christ as her savior. And when she shared the story in her concert of what had happened, I thought we need to hear that at Hope Community Church. And so it's not unusual for us to do something like this. Uh, because we can get people to come to this concert and hear the life-changing message of Jesus Christ at the very end. She'll kind of in a tactfully way share how God has changed her life. People that will never, will never get to come to a weekend service or even a Christmas Eve service. And so that's why we do these things. Uh, a few years ago, we had a comedian come in. Uh, he had recently become a Christian. He did two shows on a Friday night. We sold out all the seats, $5 a seat. Laura and I bought 20 tickets. For, so we spent 100 100 bucks we came we invited 18 of our neighbors we all went to a restaurant before before the nine o'clock show they all showed up several of them are still here now one of the couples both as a result of that accepted jesus christ and he's on staff with us here at hope community church so those are the kinds of things that can happen when we do things like this so we have the tickets they're just ten dollars there's no way you could go see a jody messina concert for ten dollars ten dollars this is so you can buy extra ones and we we really only want you to come right now if you're going to invite someone now if we have seats toward the end that's cool but this is really an outreach opportunity and uh think about those people that, that that you can invite that have gone to concerts with you that they would enjoy something like this her bands whole band is coming in our own aaron Pelsu is going to open up for her and i know how much we love him so let's just plan on be, getting those tickets and being here we're going to have a great time now we're in a series we're calling lost and found and as i said last week it's probably based on the most familiar story that jesus ever told it's based on the story of the prodigal son And last weekend, if you were here, uh, we began by asking the question, why do we as Christians, why would we ever go prodigal? Why would we ever leave the home of a loving Heavenly Father who so desires to be in a relationship with us, who wants what is best for us? Why would we ever, ever do that? And if you weren't here, I hope you'll go back and listen to it online at gethope.net. You can listen to the entire message. But this weekend, we're going to shift gears a little bit, and I want to answer two additional questions. Here's the first one after going prodigal, how do we actually return home? What does that look like? And then second, after returning home, how do we stay home? I mean, we don't wanna keep getting down off the altar if you were here last weekend and going prodigal. We know the disruption, the chaos that brings to our lives. How, How do we actually stay home after we return home? So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 15, If you don't, we're going to put the verses up on the screen. Let me just kind of give you a little uh, preview of the story. It's about a father who has two sons, an older son and a younger son. And one day the younger son walks in and says, listen, dad, I would really like my inheritance. I wish you would give me my trust fund so that I can chase my dreams. And it always amazes me that father just says, okay, if you want it, it's yours. Because I'm a dad and that's not exactly how it would have went down. I would have spent 15 minutes trying to change his mind, trying to talk him out of it. I'd gotten my white and out. Let me list the 12 reasons that this is a really, really bad idea, right? He doesn't do that. He says, if you want the money, I'll give you the money. So the father gives him his share of the inheritance. Uh, the son stuffs all of his belongings in his backpack and he takes off for some exotic land. I don't know, Bora Bora, Tahiti, Thailand, Fuquay, somewhere like that, right? And he's got a pocket full of money. He's got a head full of dreams. He has dreamed about this moment for months, maybe even years, and it's finally become a reality. And maybe he finds a condo near the beach. It's the ultimate, ultimate bachelor pad, ultimate man cave, walk-in humidor with the best cigars, you know, craft beer on tap. And then this is the first phase of going prodigal. I call it the delirious phase. And it's because this is the phase where being prodigal is fun. I mean, let's be honest, we wouldn't get down off the altar and go prodigal if it wasn't fun, right? Right. Now, I grew up in a really, really strict Baptist church, and our pastor used to say things like, there's no fun in sin. I used to sit there and think, I think he's lying. I think he's lying. Because I go to school every Monday and meet up my friends who didn't go to church all weekend like I did, and they seem like they had a whole lot more fun on their weekend than I had on mine. I mean, let's be honest. There are times when disobedience is an incredible rush. And this is where the son finds himself. He's in this delirious phase, and you know he's got friends coming out of the woodwork. He's hitting the best bars, the hottest nightclubs. He's probably got a girl on each arm, right? He's picking up the tab, he's shopping at Diesel and guest and Banana Republic, and he's driving around in a pimped out BMW. Everything is exactly the way he imagined that it would be, life is good. But something happens in the delirious phase, it always does. And the son moves from the delirious phase to the destructive phase. And you begin to see it in Luke chapter 15, verse 14. He says, after he had spent everything. So think about this. He gets up one day, probably nursing a hangover, right? And he heads out, showers. You know, I I gotta get a little walking around money. $1,000 ought to be enough today. So he goes to the ATM and it says insufficient funds. He's like, wow, the bank messed up. I'll just get 100, I'll settle this up later. Insufficient funds, 40, insufficient funds. 20, insufficient funds. And he realized, uh-oh, I'm broke. And word gets out, and amazingly, all of his friends are suddenly gone. He has absolutely nothing left except the sick feeling in the pit of his stomach. And then to make matters worse, verse 14, after he has spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. His new clothes have become tattered. His, his stomach is empty. He has no food to eat. He has no shelter. He has no security. And so this Jewish young man decides to do something that no self-respecting Jewish young man would do, verse 15. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. Now I want you to get this scene. The money is gone. He's taken his Rolex and his jewelry. He's gone to the pawn shop. He's gotten money for those things. He's gone through that money. By now his beamer's been repossessed. He's lost his condo at the beach. And now he finds himself living and eating and hanging out with the pigs. And as a result, it says in verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. In other words, he's willing to fight these pigs for a few scraps, just for some leftovers. I mean, he literally has gone from living in the penthouse to living in a pig pen. But I love verse 17 because everything starts to change in verse 17 when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, he said, and maybe maybe this is the day after. He's just leaning up against the post and that old muddy pigsty. And he said, you know what? How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I'm starving to death. He's thinking, my, my, my dad has servants. They have a wonderful apartment to live in. They have nice clothes to wear. They have plenty of food to eat and I'm in this pig pen starving to death. And now he's at the third phase of going prodigal. Now he's at the decision phase. And he's gotta make a choice. Do I stay? Or do I go home? And look at what he decided. I will set out and go back to my father. First question, after going prodigal, how do we return home? Here's the answer. If you want to return home, first of all, you have to come clean with the father. You have to come clean with the father. Did you notice that phrase in verse 17? When he came to his senses. I, listen, I've been doing this pastor thing a long time. And I've had to sit back and watch people decide to go prodigal. And often when they come to my office and in their brute honesty, they tell me what they're going to do. I'm thinking there is no way in the world this is going to end well, right? What are they thinking? Here's the problem. They're not thinking. In fact, you know what they are? They're temporarily insane. See, They've lost their minds. They're not thinking clearly. They, They don't understand the repercussions of the actions that they're getting ready to take. now. Finally, this young man, when he gets as low as he can go, he finally comes to his senses and he snaps out of his insanity and he remembers, whoa, you know what? Life was pretty good at home with the father and he thought, this is really dumb, this is stupid. I need to go home. So it says in verse 18, he said, I will set out and go back to the father and say to him. But I, get, I bet you he had a moment before I show you what he said he was going to say to the father. You ever had one of those situations where you knew you'd screwed up? Just imagine, hypothetically, for some of you really good Christians, okay? And you know eventually you're gonna have to have that conversation, that come to Jesus meeting. And so you start rehearsing what you're gonna say. Right, recently I had an opportunity to do that. We, uh, we were keeping the grandkids one night and I wanted to go to the gym the next morning, but I knew I needed to go really early because I had to be home before the grandkids got up so that Laura wouldn't have to get them ready to school, for school by herself. We keep five of them at a time. And, and, uh, and at the same time, I didn't want to wake them up in the morning by opening the garage door. So I decided I would park Lara's car out in the garage, I mean, outside in the driveway, because her car is a lot, it's a lot quieter than mine, right? And I'll take her car. And so I get out there the next morning, and it's all frosted over, and I hop in, and I'm not a really patient person. I just need to get to the gym so I can get home, right? And I got kind of a funky little driveway, but I start backing out, and I kind of, kind of lose my way, and I'm like, and in a cold second, I don't really have those curbs. It kind of just kind of slowly slopes down to the street. Can't be that big a deal. I'm sure I will eventually find the street. What I had forgotten was there's a fire hydrant in my lawn right out by the street. So I'm backing out, boom, and I just you get that sick feeling. And I realized, cause I got a little mirror right there, a little screen that shows me what's behind me. I'm like, oh yeah, there's a fire hydrant in my front yard. I didn't even get out. I just kept, I drove onto the gym, got out of the gym, went around and looked at it. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna have to get that fixed. But then I thought, maybe Laura won't see it. Maybe she won't notice, or If I come up with a plan that I've already got it scheduled to get fixed and tell her, oh, that's a much better. So I take her car home, put it in the garage, shut the door, get in my car and go to work. But you know, the day of judgment is coming. You know what I'm saying? Because Laura didn't miss anything. So I'm sitting in my office trying to study, and I got my phone, and I keep glancing over because I'm waiting for her little face to pop up, you know, with the phone buzzing. And sure enough, about two hours later, "Um, hey, honey. Now, I've been preparing my speech. I had a great story to tell her. I had even come up with a way that this was possibly her fault, that I backed into this fire hydrant while she was sound asleep. See, But when she said, hi, honey, she said, did, uh, did you run into something with my car? I just, I just folded. Yes! <laughs> I am a failure. No excuses whatsoever. I am so sorry. I promised to get it fixed. See, I think this I think this son was weaving all these stories through his head he's going to tell his dad so his dad wouldn't be so hard on him. But finally he just comes to the conclusion, you know what, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. In other words, I'm not going to go home and say, you know what, dad, the reason I went prodigal is because you and mom, you were just so absent during my formative years. I'm not going to go home and say the reason I rebel is because you put my diaper on too tight Or dad you didn't make it to many of my baseball games and the other dads were there Or all my friends in middle school had an iPhone. I didn't have one. He said, I'm not going to do that I'm just going to go home to dad and I'm going to take full responsibility for my actions I'm going to own this it's on me and he says in chapter 15 verse 20 Once he came to that conclusion he got up and he went to the father now you got to picture this scene You got to remember this kid's been living in a pig pen You think he was dirty? You think he smelled? Do you think he was gross? I mean, think about this. He's been laying around in in food, decomposing, rotting food, pig waste. I mean, he is putrid. So verse 20 says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and I think his father went to the end of the driveway and looked for him every day. And I bet he looked down that long road, nothing. The next day, nothing. The next day, nothing. The next day, nothing. Finally, one day, he went to the end of the driveway, and he looked, and he saw a tall, lanky, gaunt figure, but he recognized his gait, and he thought, that's my son. That's my son. And he saw him, and he was filled with anger? Mm -mm. Compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And if you know the story, you know that he then invited all the son's friends over to have a big celebration, a big party, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But I want to ask you a very practical question. You think this young man who's been hanging out in a pig pen and gross, do you think he took a bath before the party? Sure he did. And, and if you're here this weekend and you're dad, you understand this dad. You know when he came home his dad said, I loved you and I missed you and I've, I'm so glad you're home, son but man, you are right. I mean, you need a bath, right? So understand, in the story, we know the sun is physically dirty, right? Obviously. How about spiritually? Do you think this lifestyle that he's been involved in, do you think it's had any negative effect on him? Sure. Do, do, do you think that he was maybe impacted by the excessive drinking and maybe the recreational drug use? Of course. Do you think he's been affected and impacted by all the one-night stands? Sure. And so he needed to come clean. He needed to get forgiveness from the Father. Now let me just say something here in case you're new to church and just kind of kicking the tires of being in a relationship with God. This is what you need to know about your Heavenly Father. I don't really care how much you screw up. It doesn't really matter what you've done or how bad you think you've been. You have a Heavenly Father that never runs out of grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. Now, we say that all the time. We sing songs about it all the time. I'm just not sure we believe it. And I think that's why when we're struggling with sin, we sometimes, I mean, let's be honest, don't you sometimes just stop confessing it? Don't you sometimes just stop asking for forgiveness? You ever done that? You just feel like, I, you know what? Now it's kind of embarrassing. I've asked for forgiveness so many times. i confessed it so many times. I'm just not gonna do it. But I, here's what the real problem is. I think that we're afraid that one day, God, we're gonna go to God and say, God, I did it again, but I'm not gonna do it anymore. And God's going to be like, are you kidding me? You, you did it again? Do, do you realize you just did it 36 hours ago? In fact, just 36 hours ago, you told me you were never going to do it again. In fact, let me check my ledger here. Yeah, you have now told me 9,437 times that you're never, ever going to do it again. And we think God's going to say, I can't live this way. This is not working out for me. We're done, right? That's what we think of God. But you gotta understand, you gotta, you gotta wrap your head around this. God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, his love, it never runs out, it is renewed every day. Lamentations chapter three, verse 22, it says, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. In other words, if it wasn't for God's great love, he would just zzz on the spot. I mean, he would just fry us like an ant through a magnifying glass on the stop. he could do that. But it's because of his great love that we're not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. Now maybe you need to hear that this weekend. We used to sing a song. I wish we'd bring it back. His love never fails. It never gives up. Never runs out on me. You know what that means? That means that every day is like a whiteboard. You know, and God's taking, okay, there goes my, ooh. He shouldn't have given that gesture, gesture in traffic. Let me, let me write that down there. There's one sin today. Ooh, I can't believe he used that kind of language with Laura. That's another big one today. I can't believe he thought that about his staff. I'm going to write that one down there. He writes all those things down, and then the next morning, God gets up and is like, "All right, let's start again. Let's see if we can do better today." I'm pulling for you. You got to understand, God's pulling for you. You know that, don't you? You know, my opinion growing up of God was God had like a big club on his belt carrying around a briefcase, you know, not a briefcase, but a, a clipboard, and you just wait for me to step out of the line. and say, bam, I told you not to do that. Right, right, right. I'll knock you in the middle of the next week. <laughs> See, that's the way we think of God, but that's not God. He's like, let's, let's try it again today. Let's, let's get it right today. In fact, the lady came up to me a few weeks ago, and she was just bawling after church. She said, Pastor Mike, I need you to pray for me. I'm like, what in the world is going on? I said, what's wrong? She said, I went 49 days without smoking, and I had a cigarette on Friday. I'm like, wow, I'm not praying for you. I'm going to give you a high five. And she looked at me. She said, you're not going to pray for me? I said, God, mm-mm. you know what God's thinking right now? 49. Let's go for 50. See, we don't think of God that way, but he's pulling for us. He, wants us. he wants us to be the people that he's created. He's mindful that we're just dust. He knows what he's working with. He knows what we're capable of. When we sin, it doesn't shock him. Remember Jesus with the woman caught in adultery? I don't condemn you, but you got to change your evil ways, honey. You know, I mean, it's kind of that kind of thing going on. But back to the story, it says in verse 20, he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to, fa- said to him, Father, I, I have sinned against heaven, and you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father responded, you're darn right you're not worthy. I mean, where have you been and what have you been up to? and What did you do with all that money I gave you, right? And how in the world could you put your mom and me through all that you've put us through over the last few months? You Do you have any idea how many sleepless nights we've had? And we don't even know if you're alive, if you're dead. That's not how it went down. Verse 24, this is what he said. Forget all that. He says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What's that tell us? He doesn't care about the money. He doesn't care about where we've been and what we've been up to. He just cares about his children. Why? Because he's a compassionate, loving, gracious, mercy-filled God. And when we, we do that 180 and we turn back to him, I can tell you what his number one desire is. It is just to pick us up, and it's just to hug us, and it's just to welcome us home. And he wants to just divide us back inside into that relationship. So first of all, if we want to come home, we just have to come clean with the Father. No excuses, I sinned, I sinned. That's where it starts. Second, if we want to stay home, we have to come clean with ourselves. And let me ask you a question. Even when you sin and come clean, you mean you go before God, you ask forgiveness, do do, do you find yourself going right back to the pig pen? Right back to the bad habit, right back to the destructive behavior? I mean, is it just me or do you you ever feel like sometimes you're kind of caught in a cycle? So you sin, and you pray, God, I was wrong, you know, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then the next day, I sinned, God, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then the next day, God, I sinned again, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, please forgive me, right? I know I, what I said, I know last time I said I was, I was sorry, but this time I'm really, really sorry. And I know I said a minute this time, but God, this time I really, really, really mean it. God, I'm never gonna do it again. And then we turn right around and do it again. Why is that? Why does that happen? Well, it's because sometimes as Christians there are areas of our life where we just kinda allow Satan to roam freely in our lives, to wreak havoc in our lives, and Satan establishes what the Bible calls our strongholds. And I would just say, if you've got something in your life that you've confessed hundreds of times, and you mean it, you truly are sorry, but you can't change that behavior, it may be because Satan has a stronghold in your life. So here's the question you gotta think through. Is is there an area in your life where you have given Satan an opening? You've allowed Satan to establish a stronghold in your life. By the way, let me just say this. If there's an opening in your life for Satan to take advantage of, Satan's taking advantage of it because you gave him the opportunity to do it. You need to understand, if you've been saved, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Satan has absolutely no power over you that you don't give up to him. In fact, often... We're, we're the problem because we give Satan the opening. I've, I've heard people say, you know, if my husband ever did that, if my wife ever did that, I would never, ever forgive him. You know, and if the lady said it, it's usually with the head bob, like, I will kick him to the curb, you know. You know what happens when Satan hears that? Satan's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. I was trying to destroy your marriage by having him bet on the dogs, the dog racing, and his fantasy football league. But now I know where to focus my attention. See... Satan is not omniscient. He can't read your mind. He doesn't know what you're, you tell him what's going on in your life. Reminds me of a joke. Guy came home and said, honey, I want you to be honest with me. We've been married 23 years. I want you to be honest. If I won the lottery, what would you do? And she said, honest? He said, yep. I'd take half your money and divorce you. He said, wow, okay. I just want to scratch off. So here, 20 bucks, here's your 10 see you later (laughs) that would be an opening see now when you look at this story there are three openings in the son's life let me give them to you here's the first one secrets secrets and i say that because of a little phrase in verse 13 not long after not long after what not long after he had asked for his money not long after he'd asked for an inheritance, within a few days I'm assuming, by the way, the story reads, "He is gone." What does that tell you? It tells you, he's been planning this for a while. He's been dreaming about this. He's been thinking about this. He's been fantasizing about this, So here's my question: Do you have a secret? Do you have a secret in your life? For example, maybe you have a cat. Are you keeping that a secret? You say, Mike, would you say that? Well, you know what? A new report came out this week. Look at this. Cat owners are less likely to go to church, according to a study published in the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion. Goes on to say, the furry felines that have a reputation for living on their own terms were more likely to be the pet choice for an atheist. There you go right there. I've said all along, cats are little demons and you guys don't believe it. Now, we, uh, by the way, who pays for these studies? Are you kidding me? Whoever came up with that idea, let's decide how many Christians have cats and how often they go to church. But anyway, maybe that's your little secret. Right. But back to the story, do you know what the son's secret was? Well, he wanted his inheritance, but what was his secret? It was greed. See, he's been thinking for some time. If I had the money, you know what? I could do whatever I want and I would be happy. He's been thinking about it. He's been dreaming about it. He's been fantasizing about what it would be like. And one day, he got his money and he got to figure it out. And he realized that bought him a boatload of grief. And let me just say this in the same way if you have a secret in your heart, inevitably it'll come out and it will bring you a boatload of grief. Let me show you an example of a disciple that had a secret. It's in John chapter 12. Jesus is only now a day or so from the cross. He's in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, his good friends, just outside a little hamlet, Bethany, right outside of Jerusalem. They're relaxing. They're eating. They're catching up. And Mary, in the middle of this, rushes into the room where Jesus is, breaks this vial, uh, this, 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 this container of expensive perfume. It's called Nard. And she pours it all over Jesus' feet, and she wipes it with her hair. Really, she's anointing him. Think about this. He carried, he, he's just a few hours. Jesus carried the aroma of this perfume all the way to the cross. She's anointing him. But Judas sees it. And this is what it says in John chapter 12, verse 4. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Sounds like a politician, doesn't it? Right? It was worth a year's wages. And then it says this in verse 6. John's looking back now as he's writing his gospel. He wrote, he did not say this because he cared, he, he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So what was the real problem? Judas had a secret. What was his secret? He was greedy. And that's why when he realized Jesus wasn't really going to establish an earthy kingdom, he wasn't going to overthrow Rome. He wasn't going to be a member of his cabinet. That's why the cut his losses, he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of of silver, he had a secret. And as a result of that secret, you remember Judas went out and what? He hung himself. Secrets are openings. What's your secret? Could be lust, could be lust, could be pride, could be greed, could be some kind of addiction. But I'm gonna tell you this, if you got a secret, I'm, just, I'm talking to you as a friend now, okay? If you got a secret, the best thing you can do is put some light on it and get it out into the open. Because, see, when you take something out of the dark and you bring it into the light and you shine light on it, see, you close that opening in your life for Satan to work. That's why it's so important what James says in James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's not like stand up in front of the whole church, not even your small group. You've got to find one or two people in your life that you trust, that can handle what you're about to tell them. And you've got to share that secret so they can help you you got to get it into the light so there can be some accountability, so they can give you a path toward recovery. Now let me just say something, and let me, let me specifically say this to some of you ladies because I hear this stuff in counseling a lot. A lot of women say, I just don't want my husband to have any secrets, right? No secrets. There should be never secrets. No secrets. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't want, to, if, if you don't want your husband to have secrets, you got to figure out how to respond to his secrets in a godly way when he tells you his secrets. For example, if he, if he comes clean and says, honey, i got to tell you something, and he tells you and, and you, and you reject him, or you threaten him, you're going to take the kids, and you drop the D word, you're going to divorce him, i tell you, he's not going to tell you a whole lot of secrets. So you got to figure out how you can be mature enough to handle the secrets, whether you're a husband, a wife, a good friend, whatever it is, a boss, employee, you got to figure out how do you handle the secret in a Godly way, or nobody's going nobody's to open up and shine light on their secret. Learn. I've been married 41 years. This is what I'll tell you. I can tell her anything. I can tell her anything. And sometimes she'll be hurt. And she should be. And sometimes she'll be angry. And she should be. But I'll tell you this, when the dust settles, her attitude is gonna be, okay, where do we go from here? How do we get through this together? That's what James 5, 16 is talking about. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So that you may be set free. So that you may be Made whole, But you got to close that opening, and one of the ways you close that opening is you got to bring the secret into the light. Here's the second opening, sin. You go back to the story, you notice in verse 13, he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, what does that mean? It means as a result, because of a few moments of pleasure, all of his inheritance is gone. It's gone forever. He never can get it back. But here's my point. If you have a sin in your life, and you know it's a sin, and you don't even confess it, you're just tolerating it because you kind of enjoy it. I'm telling you, it's an opening. It's an opening. So here's a big question. Do you have a sin in your life that you're tolerating? You know it's wrong. You don't have to hear me talk about it. You know it's wrong. But you've just decided, in your case, it is acceptable sin. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, it's just a small sin. can't be that big a deal. Let me tell you something. Those small little cute sins that we nurture, they grow up to be 250. 50-pound gorilla-side sins that will eventually eat your lunch. They'll destroy you. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap your habit. Sow a habit, reap your character. Sow your character, reap your destiny. You got to deal with it. Regardless of how small, you got to get rid of it. If it's just there and you're just tolerating, I'm telling you, you're giving an opening in your life for Satan to wreak havoc in your life. So deal with it. Get it out of your life. Here's the third one, shame. You think this guy was suffering, this kid was suffering from shame when he returned? I mean, as I said, his inheritance is gone. He can't get it back. Don't you know he's ashamed? I mean, don't you know at the end of the day he's embarrassed about that? When he went into town to the Walmart, do you think people whisper behind his back? How about when he went to the temple? Churches are the worst, aren't they? I've often said the church is the only army that shoots his wounded. You think he went to the temple? You don't think they were whispering? That's him. That's him. Did you hear about what he did? Yeah, he's ashamed. He's embarrassed, right? So what do you do about the shame? Well, let me show you a verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning. It's interesting. The Greek word could also be translated despising. So let's read it that way. For the joy set before him, in other words, because he knew what it was going to accomplish, he endured the cross, despising its shame. I mean, maybe you didn't know it, but when Jesus hung on the cross, he hated. He despised the shame that was was connected with that. But even though he hated the shame, he endured, he moved forward. Some of you will never move forward in your life till you deal with the shame. And you know where shame comes from? You don't forgive yourself and aren't we using the hardest on ourselves? Have you ever thought how arrogant and prideful it is to think that the God, the creator of the universe, who we actually sinned against, is willing to forgive us, but we're not willing to forgive ourselves? I mean, how weird is that, right? So as we wrap up this weekend, I mean, you got a choice to make. See, We can ignore our secrets. I'm not going to deal with them. We can ignore our sin. I'm not going to deal with it. We can ignore our shame we're just going to drag it around with us everywhere we go we just can refuse to deal with it but that decision not to deal with it it's just going to create more and bigger issues in our life or how cool is this we can just go to god and say god i know i blew it i blew it i own it so first of all god i'm coming clean with you about what i did wrong and god i'm going to claim your forgiveness and by your mercy and by your grace, it won't happen again. It won't happen again. And then second, you've got to say I'm coming clean with myself. See, You've got to be honest with yourself. I'm closing these openings that have allowed Satan just to wreak havoc and roam freely in my life to set up those strongholds. I'm, I'm going to find somebody I trust. And I'm going to bring my secrets into the light and I'm gonna confess my sin, even the small ones, even the ones that seem harmless, and you know what? When I walk out of this place this weekend, I'm leaving the guilt and the shame of my past here, because if God can forgive me, then I need to forgive myself. And then when you've done that, you claim the promises of like Romans eight, verse one, there's now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You should memorize that verse. I have to say that a lot. I'm a very insecure, very guilt-driven person. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You claim the promise of Romans chapter 8, verse 38. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate me Nothing I do as his child can ever separate me from his love. You claim those promises. You move on with your life. You know what God says? Cool. Welcome home. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you a bath. Let's get moving in the right direction. Now, that may sound oversimplified. But it's the only way I know that you can really live free and at peace. And the other alter- only, only other alternative is just to continue to live a prodigal defeated life, and I don't think anybody wants to live there. I want to close this weekend by having you watch someone's story who went prodigal, but they handled it God's way, and I want you to see what God has done in their life. Watch the side screen. When I was in high school,
0: I was really making some poor decisions. I was carrying the name Christian around, but I really wasn't, wasn't living the Christian life. Um, and, and that started with, uh, I really got girl crazy. And when I mean girl crazy, um, there was a period of two, three years where I just wanted to have sex all the time. The, the crazy part about this is my, my parents didn't know I was living this lifestyle, so it was like I was living one way when I'm at home and another way as soon as I walked out the house. I met one girl, and I was I was being pretty promiscuous at this time, but I met one girl, and we started getting serious, and she ends up getting pregnant. And I felt like my whole world was going to cave in. We made a really poor choice in this moment. Um, we decided to abort that baby. And um, I just remember, man, like, feeling just Horrible. Like every morning I would wake up for months and I couldn't tell anybody, you know. uh, It was actually years before I told anybody about that. And um, I didn't feel like God would forgive me for that. It was one of those things that, quite frankly, you don't think you ever can recover from. You can't help but think, man, I wonder what, you know, five years after, man, he would be going to kindergarten or she would be going to kindergarten right now or, you know, some of those things. I mean, at this point, you'd be graduating from college. Like, I walked around with just guilt and hurt and anguish uh, and pain. Um, I didn't trust people. Um, It's like when you're hiding a big secret, you feel like, man, somebody's gonna find out about this. And that was just my fear and my worry for so long. And um, it wasn't until, you know, I got into my adult years and I had really, truly given my life to the Lord at that point that I began to feel a sense of peace from that situation. Um, and I could feel God healing me um, from the, the hurt and pain that I had. It took me a while to get over that. It took me a while to, to, to really embrace the truth that God really does forgive us of all of our sins, even when we hit our lowest point.
1: That's Wade, and Wade is now our pastor to our high school students at the Raleigh campus, which tells me this, not only does God forgive as he said so eloquently, God restores. He restores, he can remove the guilt Remember when Jesus was with that woman in John chapter 8? Where are those that condemn you, that want to stone you, that woman that was caught in adultery? And she's like, they're gone. You're like, eh, neither do I condemn you. But I need your life to change. You've got to take care of the secrets. You've got to take care of the sin. You need to deal with the shame. It's just a reminder to me that it's just never, I don't care where your life is, it's never too late to start doing what's right. And what's right is to turn toward God and come home. I'm gonna pray, and then our worship team's gonna sing a song, and it, it, it's not for you to sing. It's, they're gonna sing it for you. But I think it's a good opportunity for you to, to do some business with God. Put your pride aside, and decide what you're gonna do with your secret. Put your pride aside and say, I know it's just a small sin, but you know what? It's a sin. And God, I need to deal with that sin. And by your grace and your mercy, this will end in my life in the shame. Whatever campus you're at, don't leave with the shame this weekend. Walk out of here with your head held high. I'm a child of the king. I've been redeemed. And see what God does in your life. Father, thank you. Thank you for your glorious mercy and grace. None of us could be here. None of us could stand if it weren't for your compassion. And so may we learn through this story of the prodigal son that this is the kind of heavenly father that we have. And for those of us who need to run, let's not wait for him to run to us. Let's run to him. And let's take care of these things in our lives so we can live the life you designed for us to live. And we thank you for that. And we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that
0: God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.